In this second week of Advent, we continue our sermon series, Windows into Christ's Birth. Today, we will read from the opening lines of John's Gospel to hear how the Gospel of John introduces the person of Jesus. John's version of Jesus reads a little bit more like an abstract painting than it does like a traditional Christmas pageant. So listen for the themes that John introduces in this poem about Jesus' arrival. From John 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born, not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. May God bless this reading to our understanding. One of my favorite novels is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. It begins with the life of Owen Meany, a boy in New Hampshire in the 1950s. It travels on with him through high school into the 1960s, into the Vietnam War where he enlists, and later into the 1980s as Owen's friends reflect back on the pivotal life moments that they shared with Owen. In addition to devouring the hardback when it first came out, I saw the film adaptation, which was great, and then a few years later, we saw it on stage. I was taking a class in London during a period of sabbatical, and Dave and I noticed that the Royal National Theater was performing a prayer for Owen Meany. Uh, we couldn't imagine it. How, how would they stage this show, which spans four decades of Owen's life? We were stunned when, he, when we took our seats in the theater and looked up on the stage, and there was nothing there on the stage except one wooden table. Austere, minimalist, haunting, just one table. We looked at each other. How are they going to tell this complex story? And Dave and I were immediately drawn into the show. We were just mesmerized by how the narrative unfolded. We were so caught up in the show, and we could not believe that they could capture our imagination and take us through the scenes of Owen's life with just one wooden table. 
We could feel the pulse of the story and see it unfolding. But, you know, when you go to the rep, there are like these moving parts of the stage where it twists and the backdrops come in and you kind of can follow time and you know what's about to happen with each scene, but no one wooden table. Today's Christmas story from the Gospel according to John is a lot like that show that we saw on stage in London. You can feel it, but it's hard to picture it. If you were going to stage John's version of the Christmas pageant, you wouldn't need a manger. You don't need a stable. We've got one here in storage. We're going to get it out next weekend, but you wouldn't need it for John's story. You wouldn't even need the bale of hay. We're always going, now who are we going to get the hay from this year? And you wouldn't need to book the camel a year in advance like we do here. You wouldn't need to borrow any donkeys or get out the, the cattle costumes or the sheep. And when it comes to casting the characters, you wouldn't need a Mary or a Joseph, no angels, no shepherds, no wise men. So what is there? Well, there's the word. Can't you just hear the Sunday school teacher saying to the children in the Sunday school classroom, who wants to be the word? <laughs> and one of the boys will say, well, what's the costume? And the teacher scratches her head. I don't know. It could be a book. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't have books back then. It could be a scroll or maybe just a hieroglyph or a letter. And then there's the character, the light. Light plays a leading role. That might be easier to portray than the word. You could pick a star to play the light or maybe a candle or a campfire, maybe even a, a bulb from the plaza lights. We, we have to have light. And then there's John, although even though we know that John is the cousin of Jesus in this narrative, he really doesn't do much. He, his, his, his role is offstage as the narrator. He's the one who testifies to the light. God is the character, but how do you cast God? Nobody knows what God looks like. And then John says, there's some people, so we'll, we'll place a crowd of people, just some random people back there on the stage. And John does include Jesus, but not the baby Jesus in the swaddling clothes, but an adult Jesus, Jesus Christ, who doesn't say a word in the story. So you can see how this story from John's gospel does not become our template for the annual Christmas pageant. No children in halos made out of gold pipe cleaners and leftover tinsel from last year's tree, and no men cast in mismatched bathrobes. Just a kid dressed like a book and another one dressed as the light and a full-grown Jesus who never says a word. John's perspective on Christ comes to us more like a poem than a pageant, more like an abstract painting instead of an aerial view of the little town of Bethlehem. So let me just lift up three themes from the poem. First, the opening scene is cosmic. Instead of describing how Jesus was born in the first century A.D. in Bethlehem, the Gospel of John proclaims that Jesus arrives on the scene at the very beginning of all time. In fact, the Gospel of John opens with the same three words that the opening words of the Bible speak in Genesis, where it says, 
in the beginning. In the beginning, before God created the moon and the stars and the giraffes and the armadillos and the oceans and the rivers, the person of Jesus in the beginning was already with God. Before God ever spoke a word, let there be light. The cosmic light of Christ was already with God. Jesus then is not God's afterthought, but part of God's grand design from the beginning. Now, it would be foolish of me to suggest that John understood modern scientific cosmology, the kind that you and I learned in science class in the ninth grade. John doesn't know anything about the Big Bang or evolution or how we human beings are made from stardust from billions of years ago. And in fact, John probably thought that the world was flat, not round. But John is not talking science. He is making a larger point that the light of Christ was with God from the very beginning, before time began. Later, John will say that God so loved the world. And so John begins the story of Jesus by saying that the cosmic light of Christ that came into the world has been God's intention since the very beginning. He says it like this in the poem, what has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people, a gift of cosmic light. That's how Jesus comes. And the second theme that jumps off the page for me as I read John's poetic introduction to Jesus Christ is that the cosmic light was not just in the flesh of Jesus, but in the flesh of humanity. Verse 9 says it this way, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The light which enlightens everyone. I don't know if you're watching the World Cup, but the United States played Iran earlier in the week, and the United States was victorious, one to zero. We've since lost. But at the end of that game against Iran, Iran's midfielder, Saeed Azatoleh, was plopped down in the middle of the field, weeping. One of the United States players, Josh Sargent, was running across the field to embrace and celebrate with the U.S. teammates when he happened to see his Iranian opponent sitting there on the turf, weeping. He was moved by the heartbreak. The United States player realized that all the soccer players there had spent so many years preparing for this moment. It was the pinnacle of their career. And so, in a recognition of common humanity, the United States player put aside his need to celebrate, put all of that on hold, knelt down before the Iranian player, and offered consolation and support and encouragement. The cosmic light in that moment was coming into the world. The cosmic light that existed before all creation, the same cosmic light that was born in an infant in Bethlehem in the first century, is still being revealed in our modern day. Last Sunday, Mike was preaching, so during the Sunday school hour, I got to go up and join those who were having a Sunday school mixer with the adult and youth classes, and I got to visit with our member, Kevin Melia. 
I asked him about his daughter, Allison, who I had gotten to know years ago on a mission trip when we went to Nicaragua together. At that time, Allison was finishing up her college degree, and she was hoping that she might be able to apply to become a veterinarian to go to vet school. Kevin updated me that Allison is now working as a veterinarian in Topeka, and he said that during her free time, she volunteers with a group of people that go out into the streets to reach out and provide services for those who are unhoused. He said that usually when a team of volunteers show up under a bridge or out in a park where people are living in sleeping bags and tents, that those who are living outdoors are reticent and afraid of the volunteers who have come to help. But, he said, if they say to the group, we, bought a, we brought with us tonight a veterinarian, then everything changes. And they run back and they get their pets, their dogs, their cats, and they come and they say, oh, what do you think here? And sometimes Allison takes the, the pets with her back to her clinic where she works by day and provides the kind of care that the animals need. But as Kevin was telling me the story about Allison, I kept thinking of the light in Allison's face years ago when we were in Nicaragua and she was serving as a translator in the clinic for our team. I just kept thinking about her glow. And then I was thinking about those people who are afraid of the help that comes and how their faces light up when they find out that the team brought a veterinarian to care for their family with dignity and respect and compassion and love, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The very first time I went to Nicaragua, we stayed in a little mountaintop village with no running water, no store, nothing but a little church and a little school. What they did have in that town was a ton of rain. It rained so hard that week that we had a hard time getting out to the work site where we were building a home. The dirt roads that were leading up to that little mountain village just turned to absolute mud. And sometimes when we needed to go into town to get some supplies, our pickup truck couldn't get through. The buses stopped running because it was just too muddy. And one night in the middle of the week, we were going to have a worship service with the local church and invite all the members of the community, but it was raining buckets. And I realized this was probably going to be a disaster. No one would get out in that rain to walk to church, and it would probably just be our group after all. But just a few minutes before the service began, I grabbed an umbrella and I went out into the street and I could see from every different trail and road the local village people walking to church. And one woman absolutely stunned me. She was walking to church up that muddy hill on her knees. She had had polio as a child and did not get adequate medical treatment. And so if she was going to go anywhere, she had to walk on her knees. But what fascinated me and what has lingered with me to this day was not how she walked on her knees, but the glow on her face as she was gathering with all the other local people. She spoke with her face that she had a deep desire to praise God to express gratitude to God for all the love and grace that she had received. 
to praise God for the gift of salvation. In her face, I saw the true light which enlightens everyone, the cosmic light of God, born before the beginning of time. I suppose for me, when we look at these gospel stories, windows into Christ's birth, it is John's that grips me the most. Because it says that what happened in Bethlehem was not an isolated event, but the action of God that continues to illuminate the lives of all people. And then there is a final theme that I hear in John's introduction to this person of Jesus. And this final phrase may be the hardest one for me to accept. John says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in Greek, and you can ask Mike after if this is true, or ask any New Testament scholar, what that phrase says is that God pitched a tent with us. I I get that God pitched a tent with all of humanity. That makes sense. And I can believe that the cosmic light that was in the person of Jesus really did show us the image of who God is. I can even believe looking out at all of humanity, at all of you, at all of the people in the world, despite the broken places among us, that the light of Christ is still shining in our world. But if John is saying that God pitches a tent in my flesh, in my backyard, in my skin, in my life, Each of us knows the brokenness of our own lives. We know the flaws that we carry. We know the human frailties. We know our own doubts. What does it mean to say that God's cosmic light takes up residence within our own person? I guess if I was going to do a stage play showing John's version of the birth of Jesus, I would just put a tent. That's it, just a tent. And I'd make sure there was a light on inside.